This is the art of discussing, where everyone is committed to having discussions with people sharing different points of view while respecting the person expressing them. We're your hosts. I'm Ben. And I'm Kate. And we're excited that you've joined us. Let's get to this week's episode. Welcome to Art of Discussing. I'm Kate. And I'm Ben. And we're excited you're here for what we learned. We are talking about season three, Statecraft, which I know Ben was super excited about. And we've had lots of conversations with guests as well as in between just the two of us. Ben, what do you want to start off with inside of what we learned? Uh, Well, uh, just... Thinking of the things that stand out most for me uh, are conversations with uh, we have we've had a lot of authors on. Um, we spoke about uh, the Constitution, talked briefly with other people about the events of January 6th. I'd like to start with. In general, just. Let's go. I'll, I'll choose the criminal justice system. That was a particularly eye opening uh, episode for me. A lot of when we had Dustin on, um, a lot of what he was talking about, for instance, one thing that I learned uh, was the difference between jail and prison. I don't think I could have made that distinction prior to that conversation. Jail being where you're kept prior to your trial, if that's going to happen or your hearing happening, mm-hmm. and then prison, like being where where you're kept afterwards, after you're sentenced, right? Like that's prison and that's the difference. And so there was a lot around that conversation that I learned, uh, but just, I mean, little things, I mean, it's not so little, but that distinction, that was a huge uh, pickup for me. I did not know that. So, well, I think uh, in, in general conversation, you know, they're interchangeable. A lot of, not literally, but a lot of people use them interchangeably in their speaking so when they're talking about jail a lot of times they'll talk they'll say prison or vice versa versus just being more distinct inside of what actually their role is like if you're in jail versus prison like i think a lot of people say oh yeah that guy went to jail or that guy went to prison or but maybe he's in jail and not prison if that makes sense so i think there it's the there isn't a, a good distinction colloquially around around that like i don't know if average people really as they're talking make an effort to ensure that they're saying which one is accurate yeah and i mean on the most basic level i would say that because they are two physically different places you will find someone that you're looking for either at one or the other and never both yeah. Right. If they're not interchange as, as interchangeable as we on the outside think they are, mm-hmm. they're not, in fact. And that I think that that small distinction is big when you put it up against the Constitution itself, mm-hmm. uh, because while the Constitution, you know, guarantees speedy trial right to a trial by peers. And it also prohibits cruel and unusual punishment, right, which governs prison and not necessarily jail. 
because if you are convicted and then you are sentenced, everything after that is your punishment, right? Jail is merely, by contrast, a holding facility. And in talking with Dustin, it seems that the criminal justice system is pretty aware of the distinction and one is markedly different and wild westy and worse than the other right like uh he said you know they just treat you any sort of kind of way in jail whereas prison seemed to have certain wickets that everyone knew it had to hit certain standards um, that jail was not subject to so that was interesting for me yeah i think for me the the biggest one that was interesting and i think uh well i think some of the interesting ones things that i've learned is also in our conversations um before we had guests as we were creating this season because the idea of like statecraft it's not something that you hear a lot about in the average you know media or whatever you want to call that you know in society i guess you don't really hear about statecraft, you hear about politics, and it's all about politics. And so the conversation that we had inside of like distinguishing that in the beginning set up the season well for me. But the other part of that is that I felt like I learned a lot inside of the foreign policy conversation with that, because similar to I'd say statecraft and politics and how they've kind of like been collapsed kind of maybe together a little bit like not to those who actually study it or like poli sci majors etc or work in it but those like the I, i'm talking from the average person's perspective because i am not uh i'm not a nerd in this i don't i don't have all that <laughs> background you know or education okay. as much right so m this conversation is going to be inside of that filter of the average person hopefully i'm close to an average person in the US. But I guess what I'm trying to say is I feel like <clears throat> along with that being collapsed, I think the foreign policy conversations for me were really fascinating because I never really thought of foreign policy, even though I, I guess it does make sense. And I maybe uh, maybe I did think of it, but it wasn't like in my face about it. The foreign policy conversation inside of economics and how like the economic side of it is foreign policy was interesting to me partly because the I mean it makes complete sense like but you hear it in terms of like globalization or you know the global economy we don't really hear about it as much inside of foreign policy so I thought that was an interesting conversation and then it's something we brought up when talking to Dr. Mueller and inside of traditional or I don't remember what we called it but like the act the traditional side of foreign policy what people think of it which is more of the military and, and foreign relations, I do think that there has been a lot of emphasis on the military the last 20 years. And when I look past before that, I guess I didn't realize until recently that shift, because if you think about it prior to that, yes, there was military action, but I don't feel like there was quite as much military action prior to like 2000, 2001. Or if there was, it was shorter. It wasn't like 20 years worth. So I feel like there's that was a that was an interesting distinction inside of Dr. Mueller's conversation and hearing he was able to reference a lot of past 
incidents and uh, foreign relations conversations, et cetera, thing in, in th that brought up kind of like that traditional foreign policy minus the military side. Um, and I thought that was interesting. And he had a whole different perspective inside of foreign policy that was probably, I don't want to say counterculture, but it was it was definitely different than maybe what, how we've been practicing foreign policy potentially in the last 20 years, 25 years. I think, I think I wouldn't have thought, I mean, I guess speaking as someone who is a little bit of a nerd on this on this <laughs> subject, right? A foreign policy. My undergrad is in political science. I've more instead of the political aspect of it, um, been pretty fascinated with what we call statecraft and what what this season was about, right? The kind of the framework. Yes, there are politics and compromises that need to be made inside of to run the state, but a lot of things to both run the state here at home and in conjunction with other states, i.e. international relations and stuff like that. So as I guess someone who's a, a little more knowledgeable, I mean, not super knowledgeable, but a little more knowledgeable about these things, it was interesting for me to hear that through your eyes, conventional foreign policy framed with the military like i i'm sure that that's what a lot of people when they think foreign policy think they think of the military and for me that was just uh it was pretty mind-blowing i never von clausewitz uh a you know someone who who speaks on on war um, and had a treatise classically actually is quoted as saying war is the continuation of politics through other means right and then I guess through that lens I would have thought of the military and or war as not foreign policy at all and it's what happens after foreign policy breaks down right so at the end of of whatever the foreign policy is but i i can imagine that a lot of people don't see it that way they generally see our foreign policy kind of entwined with military or combat force which was it which was really interesting to me that's something that uh i i learned and picked up from this so maybe it's it's more inside maybe there's a lot of foreign policy non-military actions happening but they're not getting the media coverage maybe because you know, war or military operations is if in the media side considered, um, I want to say like sexy, but like draws, you know, like it's, it's that thing that draws in people to get ratings. Maybe that's why we hear more of it than the foreign policy actions, you know, that aren't related to military. And yeah. so maybe that's shifted the perspective inside of that, at least for some. I also wonder if we just don't hear about what is actually happening. Like the average person, how are we going to know what's happening if, unless we're in Washington, D.C. or somehow connected to somebody that is impacted, influenced or involved in foreign, you know, international relations, foreign policy? Like 
how else are we going to hear it besides media or things like that? So I, so that's why I kind of wonder if it's, if it's, unless we're a Dr. Mueller or, you know, somebody who is in that world all the time or is a professor of it, et cetera, the average person for myself, I can say, I, I don't, I wouldn't know what's happening outside of like the stuff that makes the news. And most of that is who got bombed, who got invaded, you know, who's who's threatening what, like it's more inside the military side of it. It definitely makes for more compelling newsreel, right? Like copy the showing tanks uh, shoot off large, you know, large rounds or showing planes flying or showing bombs dropping or showing explosions is a lot more compelling that reporting was, the I was looking for compelling not sexy right then <laughs> then bombs then then sanctions right mm-hmm. like you sanction a company or a country like for instance in like we're still at the time of this airs you know there's still a a conflict happening a war happening uh between Russia and the Ukraine and Russia has been heavily sanctioned by a lot of countries in Europe, by the United States. And those sanctions have effect, right? But they don't, you can't see them on a newsreel, right? Like there's the, like a building doesn't fall because a country got sanctions, right? Like it's not a, there's not a boom. There's not a flash. There's not like troops running to get to somewhere or any of that. There's no butta, 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 butta you know, when there's sanctions, there's just, okay, so we've heavily sanctioned Russia. And if they don't act right, we'll sanction them some more in different sectors, sectors of different industries, news at 11, right? Like there's no, like, and, and you, we've seen, I would say this for the media, right? We have seen them try to create graphics when they introduce these titles like sanctions, you know, and it's like, oh, okay, well, outside of your scary graphic, you know, it's just, it's just an economic tool, which is a tool of foreign policy, right? Like, for those of our listeners who may not be familiar, um, generally speaking, we refer to DIME, right? D-I-M-E, diplomatic, informational, military, and economic tools, those are a country's general levers of power. Diplomatic is like state departments and foreign ministries kind of going at it and saying, hey, our guy wants this, you want this, let's talk about it, let's figure something out. Talking, informational increasingly has to do a lot with internet, maybe cybersecurity and and all that good stuff. Military is what people pretty key in on because all the other stuff I mentioned, doesn't get sexy copy as you put it right like doesn't it's not compelling I can't like film diplomats walking out of an embassy like harumph 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 you know diplomatic immunity and all that good stuff you know harumph extra harumph that that doesn't compare to explosions or gunfire or or whatever right you know someone pulling a lever a fictional lever and then sanctions falling on Russia like I mean we can't we can't see what that but in terms of your thought and questions, like how do we see what happens over there? Thanks to 
the internet, we have the opportunity to, and a lot of Americans I know don't really do this, consume their media, right? Like Russian state media, it's, and it's not going to report all of the things. It's not going to, you know, be forthcoming, but you could, you could see cracks in there because there's only so much that you can push under the rug or not talk about. So whether it's Russian bloggers, which probably got to get there pretty quick before they're, you know, uh, somebody from the state says, hey, you should probably take that down. Or go to jail there, for There's probably years. a whole lot, right, yeah, go to j disappear, yeah. you know, but there's a lot of, hey, or or even Americans that are in, you know, overseas in on the ground, they're saying, hey, man, I couldn't help but notice, like, these, it's a, go this used to be a mall, I mean, forgive me, I've never been to Russia, so I mean, they may not have malls and I may be totally out of whack here, but like they have shopping outlets or stores or whatever that have been completely shut down or there's their ghost towns or, you know, lines in grocery stores or, you know, just looking at grocery stores with no products in them, you know, that that's pretty compelling. And that's that's but the impact there, unfortunately, is on a people, mm -hmm. the Russian people, instead of the Kremlin itself. And there's an assumption of they care. And I'm not saying that the Kremlin doesn't care about the Russian people. That is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that here in America, we assume that that the impact to the people has as greater effect on the government itself than it probably actually does. Yeah. So switching gears a little bit, I feel like this season had, we had, a, I think, a balance between professors or authors or, you know, professional people and average person, right? So we had, which had different perspectives. And one of the things I wanted to talk a little bit about as we talk about the Constitution with Dr. Bradabo and but we also had conversations with Frank and Jake inside of role of government and what happened on January 6th, which I thought were really interesting. And the reason why is I feel like there is a lot of people that maybe misunderstand perspectives that aren't their own. I think and what I mean by that is like the role of government with Jake. I think he had to me nothing he said wasn't didn't make sense, you know, I whether or not you agree with it. I don't think that any of it was extreme. It was just a different perspective. And I wonder if as a whole in society, if we started listening to that other side, maybe we could compromise and start talking about these these things that we think we're very polar opposites on, but maybe we're not as opposite as we think. And I think, um, you know, I, there were points that Jake made that I agreed with and there were points that I didn't agree with. Same thing with January 6th. I didn't know enough about what was happening at January 6th uh, going into that conversation as maybe I could have known. And same thing, you know, agree, disagree. I mean, that's the point of our podcast. 
the other thing that I, and I think this is what, I, the reason why I'm going with this is, or the way, where, why I'm going, whatever. Um, what I'm trying to get at, I guess, is the better way of putting that, is the Constitution, I feel like, I don't want to say is the crux of it, but I feel like that conversation with Dr. Bradobo was eye-opening because going into that conversation about the Constitution, I kind of thought there were more black and white interpretations of the constitution or there were the constitution had obviously it was it's not in depth but i thought over the years we've gotten to a place where we've understood it generally all the same in certain cases but it sounds like it's much more convoluted which could be the crux or the foundation for having all these different opinions and, and viewpoints um across the aisle quote unquote right if we're talking if we're bringing politics in like left to right and i wonder you know because we always hear about it's not constitutional or this is constitutional or this shouldn't be constitutional i mean there's a whole debate right now about roe v wade and so i feel like i guess what i'm trying to say is i feel like that constitutional conversation was eye-opening for me because even inside that conversation, there's, it's so complex that legally that it's like, we can't just say X equals whatever, right? Like it's not something that the constitution says, maybe a couple of things, but on the like more bigger issues, complex issues, it's not something where the constitutional says, this is not constitutional or this is like, it doesn't spell it out. It's just, it's much more convoluted and over time we've and complex and over time we've interpreted it certain ways based on is kind of how we I came out of that conversation, which makes sense to me why we are so divided or so have so many different points of view right now because it's not like we have a blueprint blueprint that's black and white that we can point to no this and then that and over here is this you know that there it, it we have precedent but that's pretty much I don't want to say that's pretty much all, but that's kind of what people point to, which could always change as we're seeing in Roe v. Wade, like that debate with the Supreme Court right now. So I just wonder, it just made sense, I guess, like it, it gave me a little bit more of an understanding as to why this is so complex and how people just want to simplify it, but it's not so simple and how that potentially has led to so many different viewpoints and ideas and opinions which could be you know which which would include jake and frank's opinions and viewpoints your viewpoints you know john doe on the streets viewpoint type person my viewpoints if that makes sense yeah i said a lot of words there so so succinctly right like what i my takeaway from what you, you you just shared is you know you were something that you learned is that the constitution is not something that then you can reference and then it will settle an argument right like it yeah. says explicitly uh it sounds like you you were surprised to find that the constitution is far less explicit on things than you would have thought before um ergo that's the basis of all this 
uh, division and polarization and discussion, you know, the debate and discussion. And I, I get that 100%. Um, I don't think it's the only reason. I think it could potentially be a reason. Right. Okay. Um, and in that, it is a reason, right? And talk in our talk with uh, Professor Bradable about the the Constitution, we got a little bit of insight as to as to why that is, right? Like the whole era, the whole time was first of all there was a United States before mm -hmm. there was, and I think a lot of people do not know this in that there was a United States practicing states prior to, there was a system of government prior to that under which we had the constitution. Are um, you talking about the Articles of Confederation? I am, I am talking about the Articles of Confederation and I guess to say it in a clearer way is that before we had a constitution, there was still, we had one, the you know revolutionary war we were a country and now we were trying to figure out how to exist together and there are 13 colonies mm -hmm. that were very autonomous right and mm -hmm. the confederate you know the articles of confederation were an attempt to preserve that like hey states are states man you're virginian I mean, I guess we're American now because we beat the crown, but I'm <laughs> Virginian American, you're South Carolinian American, you know, that kind of thing. I got my own money, you got your own money, like we still got to have, you know, and and there was a an era of, of pain, right? We saw that that didn't work. Like there, it was a breakdown, the breakdown was quick. It, it wasn't working. And yeah. it was in an, in a, in an attempt to address that, that we had constitutional conventions, blah, blah, blah. And so there's this era of trying to, we, something's broke, we know it's broke, we can't go back to the way we were doing it, we got to come up with something new. Everybody doesn't like the way we're doing it, you're doing it, you know, all the things. So there was an era of great compromise and whatever. In that era, we have a lot of, let's call it ambiguity, right? Yeah. Like a lot of Hey, it doesn't explicitly say, yeah, um, pretty much a lot of things that are explicitly said, we're getting like struck down by one faction or another or multiple or mm -hmm. whatever, for whatever reason. And something that Dr. Bradable pointed to was that oddly, there are very strange lines in the sand. There are very strange places that the constitution is very specific on. Mm -hmm. um, and that's it's kind of weird right like yeah. um so one of those things and and just but most of the stuff it's pretty ambiguous on and it gives that power of deciding and this is this is where we're at today you you reference roe v wade a couple of times so for our viewers this episode is being recorded um in a in a week it happened this week i believe right like, yeah like earlier you know, i think monday know, or tuesday Wednesday? In a week where the brief, um, uh, there was a leak uh, yeah. by someone that the, the Supreme Court is poised to, poised to strike down uh, a historical president of Roe Ro versus Wade, right? Uh, which largely is the, rep the precedent that people point to for um, 
abortion, like women's rights and abortions mm-hmm. in the United States. So uh, that that was kind of pointed to today. And, and it's not the first, right? It's not the first time that we've had the Supreme Court at one point say something. And then uh, we've lived that way under a period, for instance, ooh, I'm not a lawyer. So I, I'm trying to, um, I want to say it's uh, the Dred Scott case, which established, hopefully, fingers crossed, separate versus equal, mm. separate but equal, was constitutional, mm-hmm. right? Plessy versus Ferguson. Ah, there you go. Ha ha, got it. Took me a while. But Plessy versus Ferguson establishes separate versus equal, uh, separate but equal is constitutional. And then we yeah. just live that way, right? And then it's Brown versus Board of Education years later that that case goes up to the Supreme Court and it's, yeah, no, like it's not separate. Separate yeah. but equal is not constitutional. And that's really, and it's the interpretation and the re- way it's like that, Kate, is deliberate, right? Like, so it depends on who sits on the high court, which is mm-hmm. uh, an extremely political has become that mechanism well who's who gets to sit on the high court is an extremely political mechanism right but what a lot of like those politics don't account for is once there they the the justices of the supreme court don't have loyalties i mean unless unless right right unless they in their own heart and mind right just feel so grateful to someone like you know just like it has it depends totally on the person Mm -hmm. most of those people demonstrate between being questioned by the senate you know hey you put me on the court i'm gonna do court things that's what i do right like i i can interpret the law and i well like i have a history that's what they do and when they get there they can do whatever they want because they cannot be removed and a lot of people but but going back to season one unconscious bias every person has unconscious bias right so so nobody is free of that true and so you know whatever you i guess that was what was so eye-opening for me even though i knew it I, i like in my head like what i it was it was fascinating it's fascinating to me because it's playing out right now in a couple of different ways how easily things can be changed right like whether it's 30 years down the road you know one set of court uh supreme court versus another set of supreme court justices see it two different ways and i just right. i just think going back to system and trends how much of that is a trend versus how much of that is a system i think comes into play but i also it's also very indicative to me of where we are as a country because if we don't have anything we call we said we've said a number of times codified in the system the the constitution in a lot of aspects is not codified in that sense like it's vague and it's there but the interpretation, because it's vague in those certain, in some, except for those exceptions, it could go either way in some cases, depending on the, like how we think or the trend at the time. And so I, that was what was interesting to me. So who's to say that 
Frank and Jake and, you know, anyone else who agrees with what happened on January 6th or the role of government for their respective, you know, um, episodes is incorrect on what the, what happened or who, you know what I mean? Versus like, the, nothing's black and white is my point. And I feel like I got from the season, nothing is black and white as much as I want it to be. Like, I wanted some breakthrough or some epiphany inside of this that's like, okay, something, something is very clear, but that's not really the case. And I know that's not our goal. The podcast is, is really just to understand the other side. And what I understood now from all sides is number one, how unconscious bias shows up. I saw it a lot throughout the season with myself and others, but then also like nothing very few things are black and white and and i think what i realize is how much the trends really do influence maybe not the system but those who are responsible or or responsible for or are deemed to honor and to I don't want to say interpret, but like not hold up the system, but, but interpret and, and, um, bring integrity to the system, I guess, or that type of thing. Like how, how, how maybe the system can't be impacted, but those people may within and whole and, and those responsible for it. Yeah. Based on a trend. Yeah. I think. Or the anti-trend. Right. A trend or it's. Or the reaction to a current, to a trend. Okay. I would agree in that it's not black and white, right? It's all gray, whether it's a very dark, almost black gray, or it's a very <laughs> light, almost white gray it's it is it's very still in fact gray and and these people right like unconscious bias of you know being present i wouldn't say affecting all of us but for sure unconscious bias is present in all of us right mm -hmm. and it's the people whether or not the system it could, because here's the thing for instance, the Supreme Court, what a lot of people don't, the system, as the system, statecraft, like all politics taken out of it, if, for instance, the precedent Roe versus Wade, it was interpreted to be constitutional, right? And so it was upheld the legis that's the judicial branch of the united states government deciding yeah it's good right and as is like we could flip-flop on it mm -hmm. but if the laws change then when they only them saying that it's unconstitutional could have that law not work right like if because the legislation, the justices can't change the constitution. No. The Congress and the states can change the constitution. Mm -hmm. 
So this is just for our listeners, right? Like, sure, they made an interpretation, but if that doesn't, let's let's say just for the sake of argument that Roe v. Wade is overturned and then abortions don't work. If the legislative branch of the United States government made a law or if the law was found to be unconstitutional and then struck down, because there's no law, right? There's just an interpretation of existing law that is or is not unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. If there was a law that abortions like this are the law, then they would only be able to determine the constitutionality of that law. If they say it's not constitutional and the country was like, got it, Supreme Court, you're not right on this. <laughs> a con you know, there's mechanisms to change the constitution. However, it's just not easy to do, right? But if done, then it doesn't matter. That overturns what the Supreme Court did, right? Now it is constitutional because it's in the constitution that you interpret and it says in black and white now, even if that was struck down, the other branch can put it back and put it in there. Of course, it takes a level of coordination and communication and and talk like like talking to the people that this podcast aims to recreate. But if you were to ask me, doesn't really exist today, right, in, in earnest. So that is why that's an implausibility, and we rely on the interpretation. And that's just an example. But if, there, if the legislative branch made laws, the only thing the Supreme Court would have to do was now interpret those laws. And if those laws, by chance, were unconstitutional, right? Like, let's say Congress said tomorrow, slavery, it's back up. We're done with this. We're, let's go. You know, if you're, if you're in prison, no, that's a bad example because the 13th Amendment actually expressly says that. But if, if you know, we're going to do slavery. So everybody that used to be slaves, you're going to be slaves. It's a law. We just signed off on it. Then the constitution, then they would have to look at that constitutionality and go, oh, look, it says here on number 13, maybe we don't do that anymore. I'm sorry, you tried to make a law, but it's in the constitution. Now, if they had a constitutional convention and put an amendment in there, right? Amendment number 52, we're nowhere near amendment 52 for our listeners, but amendment number 52, slavery's back, baby. Then there's nothing that the Supreme Court has no power to say because they can't rule that it's unconstitutional. It's in the Constitution. But yeah. that's why it was done like that. As we going forward could increasingly agree on something as a norm, we could add it to the Constitution so that it stayed that way. And perhaps that has yet to occur. <laughs> so, is that was that the you know like uh, yeah i uh mm -hmm. so uh what it did say is because they noticed the founding fathers noticed that the problem they had prior to the constitution was 
there was no central government, so there was no way to solve things between states, like disagreements between states. If Pennsylvania was mad at Virginia, it was just a thing, right? Like for, you know, in Delaware and, and, and New Hampshire can, you know, mind their own freaking business because it was, it was here, right? So now the overarching central government can say, yeah, this is the federal law. It, it squashes all that noise. That's what the Constitution was put in place to kind of do. And things that don't really deal with a whole national level, it's to the states, right? Or, you know, uh, the article or uh, the amendment, 10th Amendment, is it's states' rights. If, it, if we hadn't made in a, a law expressly saying this applies to everybody, it's up to the state. You want it? Yay. You don't want it? No. And then we'll go from there. And there we are. So I, I think that the gray that exists, I don't think that what I don't, I knew, but I don't think that it's uh, maybe new for a lot of people is the Supreme Court interpretation, while powerful, is not the end of possibility. Mm-hmm. So in, in anything, not just this current uh, issue yeah. that we find ourselves in. But, and you also know that the number of justices on the Supreme Court is not set. So we can tomorrow say, hey, the Supreme Court, everybody knows it's nine. Is it? It could be 13. It could be 15. It could be 21. How did we get right? to nine? What? How did we get to nine? I'm not sure. Actually, I, I know that uh, the people talked about it and went back and forth about it. And that's the number that it's been historically. Uh, I don't, I'm not positive that it was always nine. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I will say what was interesting to me inside the constitutional conversation, we touched a little bit as an example was the tax system and the history of it and how it compares internationally, you know, our tax system. As well, as well as the voting system. I thought those were really interesting conversations. Oh, man, I I was just I was just talking to this past weekend to um, a couple of people I met who were Canadian and they live in like northern British Columbia. So it Mm -hmm. snows like 70% of the year. And they were talking about even inside of, of, of Canada, the amount of disagreement or the the politics to me sounded very similar to what we're dealing with here not everybody backs the prime minister you know like they were talking to me about how he got his election a couple of years ago in the middle of covid and um like they're i guess they're trying to push um electric cars or alternative fuel similar to you know california here and um and they're like an electric car in the snow where it's like negative 40 doesn't really work so it was interesting to me on like the voting system side he talked about other democracies but then also inside of this like all of it in general just thought i thought was really fascinating because it kind of opened my eyes that as much as we think we're different where we have a lot of similar things 
and maybe some people are doing certain things better. Like I know Dr. Bradbo has talked about how, you know, other democracies have a much higher level of voting than we do. But at the same time, there are things that we're probably similar on that, whether it's another democracy or a monarchy or whatever, like, I feel like it, it brought to my attention the amount of similarities that we don't, I think, always, we're not always present to actually exist, if I'm, if that makes sense. Okay. Still some differences, yeah. clearly, but I thought the voting system one was interesting inside of, because they also have something... It sounded similar to the Electoral College. It's not, but it sounds similar to it inside of how they vote in Canada. And I'm not an expert. And I'm this is just an offhanded conversation I had with somebody. So, and a lot of, and that I hadn't, I didn't know. And well, it was a huge discussion inside of the voting system episode, the popular versus Electoral College and that whole debate that's been happening. So it was just, it was interesting to me. I'm always interested to talk to other you know, other people from other countries, because it it definitely, if we don't do that, we don't see what is working and not working within ourselves, but then also, you know, maybe take a page here and there from good things or things that aren't working in another country as well. So I, the voting system was an interesting one to, for me, because I knew about the Electoral College, but all the inner workings of it, again, not a nerd over here. So when it comes to like history and politi- uh, governmental statecraft, that was really fascinating to me. Even though I knew the broad strokes inside of that and the fact that we hadn't had a discrepancy between the, po- the pop- uh, popular and Electoral College vote in so long until 2001 and now we've had it a few times i thought that was interesting too Hmm. okay well i definitely loved that episode for voting my takeaway was it uh it's interesting that you bring up the similarities and i i i get it right in a democracy i i could I would say pretty with confidence that that's what a democracy looks like. Mm -hmm. You know, not everybody, there's not a democracy in, in the world in which all of the, all of the policies benefit all the people and everybody's happy about it. And everybody stands in one voice, do this again. This is so awesome. Right. Like I, and I think that your point there really illustrates that, that we look the same as, a Canada, and I would also say like an India or, you know, uh, a Taiwan or a Britain or, you know, there's always going to be dissent. And to some degree, people are pretty free about, you know, to different degrees, pre- people are pretty free about just letting it be known that they don't agree, right? Mm-hmm. Like, ah, uh, this is, you know, hey, your president so I don't like him. Well, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a mark of a democracy that people get to say that. Of course you do. And and why don't you like him, sir? Like, what about that? You know, and, and this and this and this. And that's a democracy, right? Because if we were in or North Korea, dear leader. I don't uh, I don't think I agree with everything. You say, what did you say? Did you just say you didn't agree with him? 
Because I got I speed dial. Boop. I got this dude right here. And before that, even phone call even picks up. Well, I mean, Russia, you know, is, is yeah. in that right now inside of the like anything you say, any type of media would just disappear. You're going to jail for that. And that's so I think that's the difference. And that's I think that's a beautiful and wonderful thing, dissent and the freedom that, yes, it, it's a human thing that you're not going to agree with everybody all the time. That's human. Mm -hmm. right? It's a democracy thing that you feel like you could say that out loud without getting disappeared somewhere. <laughs> um, and, and that's, and that's great. So I, I agree with that. I was very, I was not, I did not know that we had such low rates of participation in our democracy. And I really think that that's something for our leaders at all levels, mm -hmm. uh, city, county, state, you know, federal, all levels, we really need to look at. We really need to look at. We have all this free speech and nobody wants to free speech it, right? Like we, we don't feel the need to go to the polls and vote, right? Um, one thing that we talked about briefly uh, was, you know, like these other, other democracies have like voting day or something equivalent, right? Yeah. Like, it's basically the place shuts down while people go to the polls. And, you know, to my mind, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I knew, I, I knew that we had low, you know, that low of, I, I knew that. So I didn't know how it compared to the other countries that he The meant. world, right, right. That's what so I, definitely, I expected similar numbers. Yeah, I knew it was pretty low and I knew it changed based on, you know, who, who was on the ballots for different things and stuff, but right. uh, yeah. You know, so um, that was very interesting for the voting uh, one I, that I learned and, and you put it more succinctly, right? Like I, I knew basically where we were at. I didn't realize other democracies were like at the 90th, you know, yeah. percentile and above for that. That's aspirational if you ask me, right? Like that's something to aspire to. So that was pretty cool. And then uh, our discussion around uh, January 6th, um, that was a lot of, so there was a lot of timeline, the timeline of events I thought was very useful and germane to our discussion. I just flat out simply didn't know a lot of those things, right? Like um, who said what to who, you know, just, factually, not allegedly, um, who knew what, when, like when something was reported, actions were taken uh, by the DC level, federal level, all of that. That was very interesting to me, that just the timeline itself. Uh, I didn't realize all of that. I, I guess even more so, I became present more so to some people's sensitivity to the use of language like and and like verbiage as to what occurred right namely insurrection versus non-insurrection mm -hmm. and i get that okay so uh that was that was something i didn't realize that was a point of contention was the mm -hmm. it's it's label as an insurrection versus it not being an insurrection I, I definitely, you know, we, we heard a lot of 
lot on the subject. Uh, I would still, for my mind, um, I still maintain that it was more violent and out of hand than completely necessary. But I mean, that's just where I think about that. What did I learn? I learned, I've learned that there was probably more culpability than I would have uh, allowed space for in the discussion uh, prior to having it, right? Mm -hmm. Like on both sides, I meant to say, uh, I mean, more culpability on, of, of uh, both the protesters and the, like the system that was curating the process, right? So not wishing to have a politic bent to this, but the people that showed up, there was more culpability there was more culpability for the institutions charged with not having such a thing happen, right? So I'm, I guess in that, like what I'm preventing saying Preventing it is or handling it? I'm not understanding. For handling it, for handling it. So, so the, law, the law enforcement, the National Guard, the, uh, you know, not the military it's not really the but the house the speaker but, of the house. but like the law enforcement the intelligence um the, that was gathered and what was you know how it was disseminated i feel like there's there were some more failures than there than i would have originally like just in a conversation with someone about january 6 allowed for so i mean i i understand that but yet and still that's all, I guess. That's what I learned is I, I kind of just got a little bit more out of that piece to it. Uh, it made me wonder how much we didn't know, how much, how much responsibility there was outside of those we've heard should be responsible for it. So it did, it did provide me a little bit of a question mark, you know, I mean, I, I, never thought that I knew exactly what was happening. I would never have walked into that saying, I know X, right? But it did make me question what we're hearing versus what's happening. Not like full bore, like, you know, I'm on whatever side, but just like, hmm, is there more to this that we're not hearing? And I do think that there might've been a difference between, and it kind of became more clear to me between those who saw it as an opportunity to go full like quote unquote domestic military type look like meaning not literal military but those who were like garbed up in military gear who stormed actually stormed the capital versus those who were in the crowd who just wanted to protest and it made me who never walked into it they just wanted to protest so it kind of made me wonder if there really was some sort of other thing happening there because I don't I, I feel like the majority of people really were there just to protest. I could be wrong. I mean, if you look at the people who stormed the Capitol versus who was still left, I wonder what those numbers were and like, did they get rallied up, you know, and stuff by, I don't want to say nefarious, but by certain people, certain groups that were there for that purpose. I don't know. Mm um so i just wonder if there's more to it i guess but either way i did find it interesting some of the parallels that frank made inside of the that protest versus black Lives matter whether or not i agree completely i thought it was interesting 
the parallels that he did make inside of that and some of the other protests that we've had in the last couple of years. Got it. And last but not least, at least for me, is the discussion with Dr. Popkin on uh, his book, Crack Up, and uh, what's happening in the Republican Party and basically just the trend of private money and campaigns, I guess, mm-hmm. and and how we got there and the McCain-Feingold, you know, legislation and its kind of effect and just where we are now, right? Like all the way to, it, it was so fascinating to me. I just couldn't get enough of that conversation. And though we spoke largely um, of the Republican Party in his book, it writes about events in the Republican Party, um, Dr. Popkin allowed for, and I, I also would like to reiterate, like, it's definitely a reality to, that it's possible to happen for either side right now, right? They have the same rules. Mm-hmm. So that legislation affects both sides in the same manner. And I'm not, I'm not convinced that such a thing is not happening currently in the in the democratic party and that's uh, equal parts for me sad but also fascinating mm-hmm. um right like a year i am definitely going to regret saying this in the future but the pattern that ted cruz followed in breaking from his party to kind of make himself look the way he looks is not unlike something that, you know, Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, um, is kind of just in, not in in her total demeanor, but in things that she says offhandly, right? Like, I get it. She's not pleased with what the president, her president is doing. And she distances herself from him in by saying like, I can't believe we're in the same party, right? It's those same trends mm-hmm. that I see. And that's, it's just that like, that was just crazy fascinating. And, and that it, it's based off this legislation, right? Like it, I can't understand how legislators see these loopholes in these legislation and they just don't make legislation, right? to address whatever that is, right? Oh, that is a bad trend. We don't want to go there. But then if we do that, then I can't get, you know, it it has a bad effect on me. And I don't know. That's just, it's just, it, you know what? It's, I find the trend, I find the the intent of the McCain-Feingold legislation, like its heart was in the right place. And it didn't get there. No. So knowing that, why don't we just help it a bit by making, you know, little tweaks to it? I'm not saying scrap the whole thing wholesale, you know, just just figure out where the weakness is and and get in there and shore it up. I mean, that's that's of course it's going to mean that our elected officials are able not able to you know. Uh, benefit from outsider money as much and I'm not mad at that 
yeah. I am not mad at that. So that's just, um, but that, that piece, that, that discussion was fascinating for me. Anyway. Yeah, that was similar for me. I think it'll be interesting once President Biden is out of the office, whether that's, you know, a four-year term or an eight-year term. I think it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens from there. And um, if he becomes kind of like another President Bush, where he becomes kind of like the last of that generation for the Democrats, as asserted by Dr. Popkin, I'm speaking kind of, you know, what he would, not literally what he would say, but based on what he said in his book. So I just think it would be interesting. It'll be an interesting, I think moving forward, it's going to be interesting. We might have more topics coming up that is around this because it's clearly a thing right now. Right. I agree. Well, thanks, Ben, for sitting down with me and having this conversation. We're excited uh, that everyone was listening to season three and uh, all of our listeners. We appreciate you guys. And uh, yeah, I think this was a good conversation about what we learned or what we thought based on it and what we came away with. I agree. It's a good time. Uh, Join us for next time, guys. Um, And until then, and that was season three, Statecraft. Until we come back, listen to every side of the argument and keep discussing. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. Follow us on social media and check out our Patreon page. Leave us a review on your listening platform if you like the podcast. If you haven't heard your viewpoint or would like to be a guest, email us at info at artofdiscussing.com. Till next time, remember there's more sides to the story than yours. Look, listen, and learn, and keep Keep discussing. discussing.